Welcome to the 82nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball action from the past week and do a season-long MLB recap with awards picks. So let's jump right in with that look back at Major League Baseball action, starting with the National League East. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves have clinched the division at 86-72 and 72 with a sweep and six wins straight. Um, that division clinch over the Phillies with that sweep. Uh, Phillies eliminated because of that. The Mets were already eliminated before. They were in the race for a while, were the leaders for a while, have led for way more days overall in the season than the Braves have. But it doesn't matter how many days you led for, it just matters who finishes on top. And the Braves stayed within striking distance the whole time and had enough to close the gap in the end. Uh, and then you move on to the NL Central, where you have the Milwaukee Brewers, who clinched the division despite the Cardinals winning 17 games in a row and taking two out of three from the Brewers in a series this week. Uh, the Brewers clinched at 95 and 64, despite being four and six in their last 10. Also, uh, also with that Cardinals win streak, but they already had a 15 game cushion about built in. Uh, so the Cardinals are still even, even after all those wins, are still six games back and obviously can't win this division. However, the Cardinals have clinched the second wild card spot uh, at 89 and 70. And the final piece to the puzzle of the NL playoffs, the Giants and the Dodgers are still fighting for the for control of the NL West. The Giants two games ahead of the Dodgers at 105 and 54. The Dodgers at 103 and 56, two games back with only three games to play between them. Dodgers also playing a tougher series against Milwaukee, although who knows what's going to happen with Milwaukee because they literally have nothing to play for. They are locked into the two seed, uh, and they will be playing the Braves in the NLDS, but they really have nothing to play for. Uh, They can't get home field either. They are locked in exactly to that two seed, so... It'll be interesting to see how hard the Brewer, the Brewers play, but at the same time, the Padres aren't probably going to play that hard against the Giants because, well, uh, they're very, very deflated after starting the season seven and three against the Dodgers and ending the season tw- seven and twelve against them. The Dodgers have won nine straight against the Padres, three sweeps in a row in the second half. Looks like winning in July doesn't matter after all, uh, and. Look, unlike the American League, the five teams that will make up the National League playoffs have been decided. The order is still not fully over, like I said, with the Dodgers and the Giants. The Braves have won the NL East and will go in as the three seed. They will play the Brewers in the first round, who won the NL Central and are going in as the two seed. The winner of the NL West will claim the one seed while lose and home field throughout the playoffs, actually, all the way through the World Series. Uh, whether it is the Dodgers or the Giants winning the division, no matter what, both of them will have home field over the Rays. Um, and then the loser of the race between the Dodgers and the Giants will play the Cardinals at, in the wild card game at home next week. Uh, so really only a three minute recap, but there, there's nothing left to talk about in the NL other than that series coming up. If you want to do a little bit of a preview on that, I don't know. Well, no, I I just think it's a shame. The major league baseball needs to change the rules because, uh, understand that the giants or Dodgers, maybe they shouldn't get the number one seed that they shouldn't get home field advantage. Um, you know, if they, if they should happen to, uh, win the wild card game, because they'd be worse record than number one seed. But they can't get the home field advantage if they should beat. So if the Dodgers and Giants play each other, that's what I'm trying to say. If the Dodgers and Giants, who have the two best records in Major League Baseball, meet each other, one of those teams is going to win. And if the team it happens to be the Dodgers, let's say it was a less lower record, they still don't have the home field advantage in the second round of the playoffs. I get not reseeding teams, but let teams have home, home field advantage. The Dodgers would have it in the World Series, but they wouldn't have it in the NLCS. 
that makes absolutely no sense. Well, there are a lot of things in baseball that don't make any sense. If you've if you've ever looked at the MLB rule book, you know that the MLB is the is the world is the is the land of no of nonsense rulemaking. And by the way, uh, the playoff structure also makes no sense in the AL for ties. But we'll, we'll talk about that. that. We'll yeah. get to that in a bit. But um. Look, there really isn't much to talk about, but I mean, I guess we can preview that Brewers-Braves series because we know it's here. We can get it out of the way now. Why not? It's already here. Uh, I don't know the probable pitching matchups for it, but both teams can really set up their rotation. And by the way, the only people who do know are probably the teams themselves. I think it's uh, safe to say Corbin Burns will pitch for the Brewers in the first game. Uh, well, I don't know how it's shake- how it's shaken out with their rotation, but you know... They they will they will choose what they believe. They have three guys to throw in the first game. The Braves have a little more of an easier decision. Uh, it's probably going to be Charlie Morton. If it's not Charlie Morton, it's Max Fried. So they really only have two guys to go with. And it probably just depends on how that ended up rotating with that series against the Phillies. Because obviously they were still trying to win those games up until the end of that series. And maybe had planned to, maybe if they drop a game in the Phillies, that they would have to clinch in some other games later in the week. Uh, so that would mean that they had their rotation set up to pitch, and then I don't really think you got you want guys pitching on ten days rest in the playoffs. So you might have to throw some of them anyway, and then it gets a little disjointed. Um, but we'll see what the rotation matchups are. The Brewers have the pitching advantage there for sure, but the Braves can hit very, very, very well. Every single guy in their lineup, I'd say at least their one through five in their lineup, outmatches any hitter in Milwaukee's lineup. So. It will be a really interesting series. It's a clash of two styles. One team's one team that likes to just mash the ball, and the other team that likes to play very strategically. They like to pitch well. They like to beat you in a three-two game. The Braves like to beat you ten to eight. Um, and I think one of the big factors is you can't beat a team three to two when your second best reliever punched a wall and broke his hand. Uh, that being Super Devin Williams big. before the playoffs have started, he will miss the entire playoffs. Uh, last year's reliever of the year and rookie of the year, I believe, in the NL in that shortened season. Um, just dumb, but Stupid. it's not the first time that something like that has happened. Sometimes people have played through it. Sometimes people have done it in frustration. LeBron did it in frustration in the middle of the finals and played on a broken hand. If you're a pitcher and you're going to punch a wall, use your glove hand. That is true. Or use a glove while well, you're punching punch the, the wall. wall or just still. don't punch the wall. But... Yeah, I mean, it'll be an interesting series. I thought, I was thinking this series might be a little bit of a pushover for Milwaukee just because I really think the Dodgers, the Giants, and Milwaukee are just way better than anybody else who could come out. But then, with how hot the Cardinals are, it doesn't really matter their talent level. They just have a winning way about them, a great, uh, a great, for lack of a better word, a great vibe about them right now just because they're winning so much, they know how to win, and they found how they do win which is really, really important by the end of the season. And by the way, Milwaukee's a little bit cold, and they have those reliever issues. Meanwhile, if you look at every other team in the playoffs, you have the Cardinals, who are 9-1 in their last 10, the Giants are 8-2, and two, the Dodgers are 8-2, and two, and the Braves are 9-1. and one. Meanwhile, then you have Milwaukee at 4-6 and six in their last 10. So when you look at momentum, I mean, Milwaukee's at the bottom of that chart, but then you also get that pitching thing going with Devin Williams, I originally thought that this would be a walkover, but then after I heard about that injury, I, I'm I'm actually leaning Braves here, honestly. I think they have a really good chance to win it. However, the Braves play in Atlanta. So because they play in Atlanta, they're going to choke, and I know that. So I'm not going to pick them. I'm going to pick Milwaukee in this series just for the fact that Atlanta plays in Atlanta. There is literally no other reason. I think it's straight up a toss-up otherwise, and I would lean the team that can hit more consistently, but... 
it's also a thing that in the playoffs, sometimes pitching can just carry you through. It happened with the Nationals in 2019. And if there's a team like the Nationals this year, if you're looking for the next Washington Nationals that doesn't hit amazing but has enough guys, the Brewers are that exact team. They have the three pitchers and a great bullpen. Actually, a better bullpen than the Nationals had when they went and won it all. And probably a better lineup, too. So And more and a lot more experience, too. So uh, I think I'm going to go with Milwaukee over Atlanta, though. What do all you right. think? Well, you said you took a lot of things I was going to say in terms of um, Atlanta being the hot team. You know, all, all signs point to Milwaukee. Home field advantage. Overall record. But then you, you mentioned exactly what I was going to say. Braves have been hot lately. Um, and, you know, the Brewers having uh, losing a key piece. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's Milwaukee's year. I'll take the Milwaukee, Giannis, and Tentacupos to win the series. <laughs> well, I think also another thing that you can look into is that Milwaukee doesn't have the history of choking series and games that Atlanta does, but they have been so close so many times recently in series that they haven't been favored in that you almost feel like when they are favored, they just have to win. They took the Dodgers to seven games in a, in a year where they weren't supposed to be close. Many people had the Dodgers in five or six games in that series. They almost took that series. Uh, they, they've gotten really, really close, and they just haven't gotten over the hump yet, but I believe that if there's a year for them to do that, other than the fact that the Dodgers and the Giants are still as good as, well, really, the Dodgers have been coming out of the NL West for, five or, for four or five years now, uh, they, this is probably the best team they've had. So I believe that... This team just, in a series they're favored in, I believe they'll take care of their business. And I think that series is the series against Atlanta, so I'm going to pick them. All right, do you want to preview the wild card game since we know what that is? Well, we don't know what that is because yeah, we don't true, know if it's yeah. Dodgers or the Giants. But uh, I said three weeks ago that just because of the fact that if the Giants went, I think what? At that point, the number was if the Giants went 11-10 and 10 for the rest of the year, the Dodgers would still have to go... 14 and 6 to finish the year to actually get ahead of them. Uh, and we all knew the Giants weren't going 11 and 10. Uh, I had said a long time ago that the Dodgers really had a tough road in front of them and did not quite put the nail in the coffin, but I had thought that it might have been close to over a long time ago. I think it'll be the Dodgers against the Cardinals. I think it's safe to say. Um, And probably Max Scherzer against Adam Wainwright. Although, if you actually look at normal rest days, Walker Buehler technically could pitch. That game, and if he didn't pitch that game, he'd be pitching on, I believe, eight days rest come the come the first game of the series uh, in the NLDS if the Dodgers were to beat the Brewers, so or, or to beat the Cardinals. You never know, but uh, Scherzer has been lined up for a while, so I would assume that that is who the Dodgers are going to throw, but a matchup of two veterans, um, two guys, well, Adam Wainwright, who was with one team for a long time, Scherzer, who's not a journeyman by any means, but uh, he's been with a few different teams in his career, and he's had success everywhere, especially in the playoffs. I would still pick the Dodgers in that game, even with how hot the Cardinals are. I just believe that if the Dodgers get to five runs, the Cardinals just don't have enough offense to to beat Scherzer and the bullpen of the Dodgers with Trinan and Jansen, I think, especially because Scherzer pitches for so long and pitches very efficiently and likes to challenge guys. If the Dodgers jump out to an early lead, which I think they can, uh, I think the game will be over. I think if the Dodgers get two runs in the first inning, they'll they'll tack on a few other later in the game, and you might see a 4-2, 4-3, 5-4 kind of a finish. Um, and that might just be the end of it for the Cardinals, which is interesting. But, I mean, look, all these teams are great in the NL. Um, I don't think there's a single team that we can say that's had their— I mean, other than the Cardinals— 
and the Braves. These teams have been consistent all year. The three, the big three of the Giants, Dodgers, and Brewers have been great all year. Uh, and then the Braves and the Cardinals are playing really, really well in the last 50 to 60 games and probably playing better than the Brewers are. Maybe not the Giants and the Dodgers, though, just because of those crazy 100-win <laughs> uh, seasons. But by the way, if the Dodgers win one game for the rest of the season, they will tie the record for the most wins by a non-division winner, That's which crazy. is pretty interesting. And uh, already at 103 wins, they're in second place in that race. So the one thing that would be a shame, and I did jump the gun a little bit, but I think I was seeing the handwriting on the wall with it being the Dodgers against the Cardinals. Um, one thing that would be a shame is if the Dodgers and Giants tie somehow for the National League West, which could happen if the Dodgers sweep and the Giants only win one out of three, those two would have to play a tiebreaker game using probably their best starter. And then the loser has to go play a wild card game and could really be handicapped. So that would be the worst possible outcome for either of these teams. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps up our look at the National League. Let's move on to the American League. Let's start in the American League East. In the AL East, the Tampa Bay Rays have clinched the best record in the AL, granting them home field advantage until the World Series, where uh, if it is the Dodgers, they will not have home field advantage, or if it is the Giants, if it is the Brewers or anybody else, uh, the Cardinals or the Braves, they will have home field advantage. Um, which is a pretty interesting predicament, but I would I would say they, they more often more likely than not they won't have home field advantage just because I think the Dodgers or the Giants whoever makes it out will probably win, will probably make the World Series from the NL. Um, but I won't go too far with predictions. So uh, this early in the playoffs, well I mean we're not even in the playoffs, but this early uh, in this juncture, but they win the division at 98 and 61 so far. They are seven games ahead of the Yankees. Uh, at 91 and 68, the Red Sox are at 89 and 79 games back. The Blue Jays are 88 and 71, 10 games back, and all of those teams are still in the race. Um, I'm going to move on to the White to the White Sox in the AL Central, who we know have clinched. They're at 91 and 68, so they actually still do have a chance to take home field uh, in the series against the Astros. And by the way, it would be very important because guess who has the best overall home record in the AL? The White Sox do. They do not have a good road record, however. They are 40-41 and 41 on the road. So if they had to go on the road against Houston, a very experienced team in the playoffs in the first round in the NLDS, which we know they will be playing them, uh, that's a really tough matchup. And I don't think... I think the White Sox would be seeing an early exit to a great season if they have to play them on the road. Uh, and all signs do point towards that, if I'm being quite honest, just because they'd have to make up these two games on the Astros. Moving on from the AL Central, the Astros have clinched that division at 93 and 66. They are four games ahead of the red-hot Seattle Mariners at 89 and 70. They have won four in a row since you famously proclaimed that there is no way they would make the playoffs, um, and are nine and one in their last ten games. Uh, and then the A's this week got eliminated, uh, but. Chicago plays three against the Tigers. Houston plays three against the talented but deflated A's. So uh, Houston only needs to win one game to claim that home field. So I would not be surprised if they claim that pretty soon. But I rushed through the divisions to get to the AL wild card because that is the big, big important race. The only race actually left to decide other than the Dodgers and the Giants in all of the major leagues the Yankees, after sweeping the Red Sox and taking two of three from the Blue Jays, are now in prime position to make the playoffs and host the AL wildcard game. The Red Sox lost two of three to the Orioles and now have the Nationals left on their schedule. The Mariners swept the A's while Boston lost those two games, allowing them to tie Boston for the second wildcard spot. 
Now, with both of them sitting two games back of the Yankees for the first spot, and the Blue Jays are one back of both of those teams after their series loss to the Yankees. Uh, the rest of the week entails the Rays playing the Yankees, which is a very tough series for New York, although maybe the Rays will be resting guys as, you know, they already clinched what they, they know what they are. They're going to be the one seed. They're going to play the winner of the wildcard game uh, at home. Then you have the Orioles against the Blue Jays. And I think after the Orioles have won two of three, they're almost due to get swept just because they're not good enough to win, to go three and three against two playoff teams. Let's be quite honest. And I think the Blue Jays will be even more desperate than Boston. Uh, then you have the Angels against the Mariners. Although the Angels aren't going to pitch Shohei Otani on Sunday for a scheduled start. Don't ask me why. Uh, there is no real reason. And a lot of people are upset with that because they think that for the integrity wise, they should be there. They have a, they have a role in deciding who should be in the playoffs. And they're not going to be trying their hardest, which even a team like Arizona doesn't win many games, but you can still tell that they're trying to put out a real lineup. They're, they're pretty much putting out the same guys every day to play the jo- to play the Dodgers, play the Giants. Then you have the Red Sox at the Nationals. But again, we said their series against the Orioles was easy. They didn't make that one look easy, so I wouldn't be quite surprised if they gave up six home runs to Juan Soto in three games, then all of a sudden they are out of the playoffs themselves. Um, overall though, right now, if the season were to end, well, not today, but going into today, you would have a two team tie for the second wildcard spot with one team, one game back. It's possible that we could see a four team tie. Uh, it, it is possible that we could see a four team tie. I actually think it's quite likely we see a three-team tie because even more, we'll get to a three-team tie is even more messed up what happens than a four-team tie. Well, I actually, I, I should take that back. I don't think we'll see a four-team or a three-team tie. I think we'll see a two-team tie, but for that second spot, which means that we have three teams taking two spots on the final day of the season. I don't see that. I mean, I guess the Yankees could lose two out of three to the Rays. Um, and really, I think... The Rays have motivation to knock the Yankees out of the playoffs. Well, the other thing... Well, but the Rays beat the Yankees last year in the playoffs. They are not afraid of playing the Yankees in the playoffs. They did it last year. Their roster was better last year. The Rays were worse last year. Randy Rosarena played like two games before the playoffs and then became a playoff legend. Now he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year and then come into the playoffs. So they're a lot lot better put together than they were last year. Um, And Austin Meadows is having a much better season, same as Brandon Lau. But... I do agree that they might have some incentive to knock out the Yankees, especially when the alternative is the Mariners. I think only that reason. I think the Rays say, oh my God, Seattle's playing our game, but they're not playing it as well as we are. They're playing in a weaker division, and they still can't play our little style of money ball, use 800 pitchers in a season, use a different pitcher every day, um, and make it to the playoffs. So I think the Rays would like to play a team with a similar style rather than a team that just has a monster lineup like the Yankees do. Uh, but the Yankees would still have to beat somebody to get there, no matter what. Uh, and I really do think that all those things are possible. The Yankees could lose two out of three. The Mariners could sweep. And the Red Sox could also sweep. But the, it just feels like that kind of stuff never happens. There's almost almost always there's some kind of order that comes down where... I don't know, the Yankees do win at least two games, and then all of a sudden they take the first wild card spot. Maybe there is a game 163 between the Red Sox and the Mariners to get that because, frankly, the the Angels are not playing well and the Nationals suck. So I wouldn't be surprised if both those two teams that are anxious and nervous would sweep. But at the same time, the Red Sox and, and the Mariners are both nervous. They're not, they're not playing uh, loose against bad teams. They're playing very, very tense. 
So it could it could it could make a slip up, and then you could have the Blue Jays, who can only control so much because they actually don't control their own destiny. You could have the Blue Jays play really loose against the Orioles, sweep the Orioles. If the Mariners lose one and the Nationals also win one off the Red Sox, then you have your three-team tie scenario. Uh, and I actually would argue that the Blue Jays sweeping and then the Red Sox and Mariners winning two out of three is more likely than the Yankees losing two out of three to the Rays. Although we'll have to see, but I, I would argue that it's actually more likely. So it could, it, but the scenarios are very possible, but it just feels like there's somebody's just going to choke. Just like the Red Sox did 15 years ago against the Orioles. They did earlier this week against the Orioles. And then I feel like they could probably do it against the Nationals just because why not? What? Why not be after last season being such a disappointing season for them? Why not end this season on the worst note possible? Well, I'm rooting for that three-way tie for that second wild card spot. Or frankly, a three-way tie for anything because it just means utter chaos for the wild card. Should we, should we go into how that works? If you have if you have the data and you know how it works, sure. So let let's put it this way: if there's a two team tie for any spot, then all they do is play one game, um, and the winner of that is in the moves wild on card. and moves claims on the wild that card spot. And they have a single yeah. elimination. So similarly, if there's a four team tie, then two teams just play. Then there's there's sort of a two playoff games to be in the wild card. So it's like a single elimination tournament with four teams. Not too interesting. It does push the schedule back a little bit, but the interesting part is if there's a three-team tie for any position, and there's a whole bunch of uh, criteria to determine a team that gets that's the, the team that gets its choice of whether it wants to be the A team, the B team, or the C team. So there's criteria to decide, but a team picks what they want to be. So let's assume it was for the second wild card. Let's just assume for this the Yankees have the first wild card between Boston, Seattle, and Toronto. One team with all the criteria. I don't know who it would be gets to pick whether they want to be the A team, the B team, or the C team. And the way it works is the A team plays the B team. The winner of that is alive. The loser of that has to go play the C team. And the winner of the B, the game against the B team or the C team, they go back and play the, the winner of the first game. The, 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 lo- the winner of that second game goes and plays, it's like a little mini double elimination tournament. And then after that, those teams would have to then, after they play two games, then have to go play the Yankees. So basically the Yankees are rooting for a three-team tie because that means the other teams have to play two games just to get into the single elimination against the Yankees. That's why I want to see it. Utter chaos. And I like the game theory of do you pick what to do? Do you pick? Do you want to be the A team, the B team, or the C team? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's just a crazy scenario. Well, I will say the one thing that I, that I have to say about that is that uh, in the NL, I think that would have a much greater impact based on the teams. I actually don't think that the Red Sox pitching their third starter is much different from pitching their first starter. I mean, I guess Chris Sale has a lot of playoff experience, but their rotation this year has not had an ace the whole time. They've had four, they've had four to five decent guys all year. And some of them with more stuff, more talent, more career accolades than the others. But none of them performing up to expectations. So Boston doesn't have that one guy. Uh, The Mariners, maybe you could say Chris Flexen is that guy. But they also, all year, kind of were struggling to find that ace until Flexen kind of emerged from the bunch a little bit. I don't think it matters who the Yankees play out of those those pitchers. I think if that was in the end, I'll just say, I think if that was in the NL and you're talking about 
playing the Brewers after they've used their first two, that's a big deal. Or if the Dodgers had used Bueller and Scherzer, you'd much rather play, by the way, he might lead the league in wins, but you'd much rather play Julio Arias than Bueller or Scherzer. The AL just doesn't quite have that with their pitching depth. Although if the Blue Jays were the team that came out of that, not playing Hyunjin Ryu or Robbie Ray, or actually, no, it would be probably Robbie, Robbie Ray or Jose Barrios, would be a huge, important swing in your favor. I think if the Red Sox got a, if the Yankees got a game against Ryu to get into the playoffs, I think they would take that game with Garrett Cole on the mound. I think they, I think the Blue Jays would be overmatched. So I think it will present an interesting situation. We'll have to see how that tie shakes out, if that tie shakes out, how it works, who knows. Um, but yeah. It's well, crazy. The other thing I will say, it has an impact on the bullpen because your bullpens are going to be tired going against a fresh bullpen. Maybe not as much as the starting rotation. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at the American League. Let's continue with Major League Baseball and have our own sort of award show slash recap for the season. All right, Patrick, let's start with uh, thoughts on the most valuable, most valuable player race in both the National and the American League. I think I'm going off the board, maybe to the number two guy for most people uh, in both leagues. I'll start with Juan Soto in the National League. In my opinion, if Bryce Harper had brought the Phillies to the playoffs, if Fernando Tatis had brought the Padres to the playoffs, I would pick those two. But Juan Soto has had the better season than than both of them. And, you know, his team sucks, but that's because they traded everybody that's not him. Uh, he was the untouchable piece for a reason. They even traded away Trey Turner, who ends up leading the league in average, I'm pretty sure, by the end of the season. He's almost guaranteed to do that if he... Literally gets probably two hits in the rest of the season. Um, a 3.18 average, which is second only to Trey Turner, as I mentioned. Sure, he's tied for 16th in home in home runs at 29, and he's only tied for 10th in RBIs at 94. But his on base percentage is 4.67, which is first by point by point oh four by point oh four, which is a lot. Um, a 4.67 on base percentage means that he gets on base. 46.7% of the time he comes up. Anybody who gets on base 50% of the time, half the time they're up there, is a great player and deserves to win an MVP. Can you imagine going into a game knowing that if all that if your guy has an average game, he will be he'll go 2 for 4 in the game or 1 for 3 with a walk. It's crazy. He's also first in war for a reason, wins above replacement, which is the the very the bridge between I would say advanced metrics and regular stats, um, he is he is first in that, and then he's only second to Bryce Harper in OPS. So look, Soto's got all the stats other than home runs and RBIs. He's not trying to be a home run hitter; he's trying to get on base, and he has done a amazing job of doing that all year. So I'm going with Juan Soto in the National League, and then the and then the American League. I thought I would go with Shohei Otani all season unless Vladimir Guerrero won the Triple Crown. But he really did put up triple crown-like numbers, just didn't get it because some other guys are having ridiculous season with RBIs like Salvador Perez with 121 and also with his 48 home runs. He might be the only guy to get to 50 in the whole major leagues this year, which is crazy in its own right, and that's another topic. Um, but he's three th- he's hitting 313. He's second in that. He's second in home runs with 46. He's sixth in RBIs with, with 107. He has a 998 OPS, which is first uh, in the NL. And then he has a 6.7 war, which is third in the AL. So look, he is top 10 in all the important stats. Sure, Shohei also pitches while he hits. 
But he is really, he's an above average pitcher and he's a good power hitter. But I wouldn't even say he's the best power hitter in the league. He's not a top 10 pitcher. So I don't think that he qualifies for the MVP just because of that. He's way too behind in some of the major stats and his team is not good. And he's also in contention with guys who are on good teams. Even an Aaron Judge, his team is having so much more success. A guy like Brandon Lau, even an Austin Meadows, who you could give some mention to, just because of the team value in it. There's just, the Angels just are not good enough for me to say that they have an MVP candidate when there are other great players on other teams. Whereas in the NL, the Dodgers and the Giants, the best teams, really don't have a one guy that sticks out too much. So there's a little bit of room for error there when it comes to being on a good team. But in the AL, that's not true. There are real, there are some star players on teams, and I think Vlad takes the cake for me. All right, well, um, let me just start off by saying I believe to win the MVP award, and frankly a lot of these awards, uh, but mainly the MVP, uh, potentially the Cy Young, you got to be on a team that matters. Um, the other thing I will say is that in giving out my awards, I try to spread the wealth a little bit. So I 100% agree with you in the AL. Vlad Guerrero Jr. over Shohei for the same reasons. The Angels, you just can't be the MVP when you're on that team. Um, so then I struggled in the National League for the very reasons you said. The Dodgers, because of injuries and just a bunch of talent and some guys being up part of the year, not part of the year, it all, it all kind of spread around. The Giants, you, you, they've just got a bunch of guys who contributed, though, Brandon Crawford. So um, then to me, it's down to, Hyper, it's down to Bryce Harper, Tatis, and Soto. And Harper kept his team in, in, the, in the race, in the division race, and... Um, he outslugged Soto by 64 points. He has 24 more extra base hits, twice as many doubles. And he had an insane, I won't go into the stats, but he had an insane second half that kept Philly in the race and basically to the last week. The only people to have a, a half a season equivalent to Bryce Harper's are Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Barry Bonds. So I'm going to go with Bryce Harper, very close between him, Tatis, and Soto. So now let's move to the Cy Young. I know we're going to disagree here because I have I just have a little bit of inkling in my head that you're going to pick a Dodgers pitcher, and I just don't think that that is right after both Bueller and Scherzer's end to the season. You I are think, wrong for the right reasons. I think that uh, Corbin Burns takes it for me. He is the leader in ERA. I'm a big ERA person, I won't lie. If you lead the league in ERA, you're going to pretty much get it for me. He's 11-4. and four. He Sure, he doesn't have too many wins, but... The Brewers aren't a bad team. They're not losing when he starts. He just doesn't get credit for many wins because early in the season, that team scored like zero runs per game and would get and would win his starts one to nothing after he pitched a shutout. But they got the run when when they were already on their on their relievers and he didn't get credit for the win even though he won the game. He's third in the league in strikeouts. He's first in strikeouts per nine innings, and he's fourth in WAR. Uh, I think it's got to be Corbin Burns for the NL, and also because the Brewers' pitching staff has really been probably the best unit, if you want to go by pitching or offensive units in the entire league, I would say they they take it, at least that start, the starting pitching for them. Uh, and then in the AL, I'm going with Robbie Ray. I would have gone with Carlos Rodon if he had played more, but he did not play anywhere near enough to get this. Uh, Robbie Ray led the AL in ERA at 2.84 he led them. He led the AL also in innings pitched, so he carried a lot of the load for the Rays the whole. Or for sorry, not for the Rays, for the Blue Jays the whole year, while also pitching the best by runs. He was thirteen and seven, also first in strikeouts, third in strikeouts per nine, first in WAR. I just named all the major stats, and he's only and he's only worse than first in one of them. So 
I think because of that, it's got to be Robbie Ray. The only other one you could go with is Garrett Cole for record and for strikeouts per nine. But actually, in total strikeouts, he does not beat Robbie Ray. Um, I agree with you on both. And Garrett Cole kind of fell off at the end there. He had some. So he had a he had a bad start. Um, and I agree with you about Bueller and Scherzer. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were trying to figure out which Dodgers is going to win it. They both had two terrible outings down the stretch. May have cost their team a chance to. And th- Corbin Burns pitched eight innings in a combined no hitter at the end, it, while Bueller had his six so, run given up game against the Giants. So. so I agree with you on both. Actually, let's move to Rookie of the Year. I think we'll disagree on this one, though. I'm going with Jonathan India uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. I actually have two leadoff hitters, but there's a reason for that. Uh, 270 average, 377 on base percentage, 21 home runs, 69 RBIs. For a leadoff hitter, that is pretty good. I mean, even Trey Turner, who leads the whole league in average, has pretty similar numbers, 25 home runs, 68 RBIs. So that's kind of the number that she'll stay at in between probably that 20 home run, 70 to 75 RBI range because there's no one to knock in when you lead off the game. Uh, and then you're relying on the bottom of the order to get on base before you get before you get up for you to actually get any RBIs. So that's kind of rare. That's hard to do. So I'm going with Jonathan India just because the Reds were in it mainly because he was consistent all year, and then Castellanos, Winker, and Votto had all of their crazy stretches. But he was actually really one of the main reasons that team was in the race, and he did not get enough credit. Although I think maybe by the end of the year, the writers might give him this Rookie of the Year award. Uh, and then for the AL... I'm going with Randy Arozarena, also a leadoff hitter, 273 average, 21, uh, 20 home runs, 69 RBIs. By the way, pretty much the same stats. Uh, also a leadoff hitter. He's also stolen 16 bases on the year, and he plays on the best team in the AL, and he is a very big part of why they're so good. Uh, and by the way, no Rays players ever win any awards. Same with the A's. I think someone deserves something from there. And also, the Rays had three really good rookies, also with Wander Franco, too, this year. Uh, so that is, I'm going with those two for my rookie of the years. All right. Well, I agree with you on Randy Rosarina, not just because of his first name, but I'm also giving him credit for his postseason last I year. I was about to say, I also think that one of the things that's going to come with the vote is that people will forget that that was even a thing of last year, because I think we've all lost track of time. Some people may remember, uh, that he hit 10 home runs in 19 games and be like, oh, they took it out of the season stats. Like, he played 100. And, I mean, if you take the last postseason as part of it, really his entire career, actually, yeah. is an 175-game season where he has 30 home runs and 85 RBIs with probably a 300 average. So, yeah, when you include that playoff run in there, it's 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 him. So... With that, well, I'm going to give it to him, and with that logic, Wander Franco has already won it for next year because he's not; uh, he'll still be eligible next year. Um, and then the National League Rookie of the Year, I won't belabor it. I'm just trying to be different from you. Trevor Rogers, ace of the Marlins staff. Let's move to Manager of the Year. And I will also say before, really quickly before we move on, Luis Garcia was a good pick for the AL too because he's an important part of the pitching staff of the Astros, who's the second-best team in the AL. And also Ryan Mountcastle for breaking a record made set by Cal Ripken. That's got to get some uh, notice for it. But 33 home runs, but you play on the Orioles, so who cares? Now let's move on to the managers. Uh, the NL, I think, I, I if you go someone opposite, I know it's just because you hate the Giants. It has to be Gabe Kapler because that team last year was not good enough to win anywhere near 100 games, probably to touch a winning record this year. Uh, And he did a good job turning the team around. They've dealt with injuries a lot. And for a roster that wasn't supposed to be good at all, to have the ability to make it seem like a really deep roster means that you're doing something right uh, when it comes to the coaching staff, the managing 
Uh, everything's right. Everything's gone right for the Giants. And because of that, you know, they're a very well spread out team when you talk about stats and uh, home runs, RBIs, whatever. So they probably won't win any player-specific awards, and Gosman looked like he had the Cy Young, but then had a really rough second half. But everything that has to do with a team overall has got to go to the Giants in the National League. So for that reason, I'm picking Gabe Kapler. And then I'm picking Alex Cora uh, from Boston as the AL Manager of the Year. The reason why is because I believe Kevin Cash won last year for the Rays. He, he would win it every year if we didn't want parity because the Rays never have a roster better than anyone else in the AL East and always end up winning it. Uh, however, people are forgetting that this team last year finished better than three teams, the Tigers, the Pirates, and the Rangers. And now all they change is a new manager and getting a few guys back from injury and not even some of them for most of the season. Uh, and all of a sudden this team might make it all the way to the playoffs from the third worst record in the league to the third best record in the American league, possibly. That is a huge turnaround, and I believe they have to get credit for that. All right. Well, I'll do. Uh, I'll do uh, teams that I hate for five hundred. Alex for manager of the year, um, and I'll stick a little bit with your Alex Cora, a related party in hatred for the Houston Astros. AJ Hinch for the Tigers. Um, I just nobody thought the Tigers would be close to five hundred. Um, with a close second, and this is in the American League, close second, Kevin Cash for Tampa Bay. Um, I know it seems strange because they made it to the World Series last year, but they lost their three top starting pitchers, and they only have, I think, one reliever back that, that, that had more than one save last year. Well, but this is the exact reason why I said that you can't pick Kevin Cash because he would get it every year because the Rays do this. This is what they do. They're going to turn over 100 players a year, and it's going to work out for them, which uh, I, I, have them, I have them there for something I later. Pick but him. He's honorable mention. A.J. Right. Hinch gets it. Kevin Cash second. National League, I agree with you. Gabe Kapler, hands down. Team was picked to maybe win 75, 80 games this year. He's yeah. gotten the most. You've said it. He's gotten the most out of everybody. Um, with a honorable mention, second place to Brian Snicker of the Braves. They were in the dumps, and they they lost one of their best players and kind of pieced the roster together. I did predict them to win the division, um, I think, after the All-Star break, and that looked like a really bad pick. Uh, and he got them back together and got them back to the playoffs. So uh, those are my picks for manager of the year. Let's go to relievers of the year. I think it's almost impossible to not go with closers here. I tried to think about Aaron Loop uh, for the Mets, who has a sub-1 ERA on the season at .95. However, he has four save opportunities on the year and blew all of them. So it's clear that he just isn't trusted as a high-leverage reliever because he really just hasn't performed well. But by the way, he only has six earned runs all year. Four of them are in those save opportunities, and the other two are from a game against the Giants. Uh, so... He could have been, he could be it. You never know, he might win it. Um, I'm going to go with Josh Hader because he's the closer with the lowest ERA and the most saves. 34 out of 35 saves on a team that's making the playoffs. Kenley Jansen had his ups and downs this year, and he, uh, and then Jake McGee, same thing. Uh, so the best two teams don't really have a closer that matches up to Hader with a 1.25 ERA, 99 strikeouts, and 34 out of 35 save opportunities. So I have to go with him in the NL. And then the AL. I have to go with Ryan Presley because none of the teams had a closer that really had a great save, non-save to blown save ratio. Uh, but he was 26 out of 28, 2.24 ERA, 80 strikeouts. Similarly, for the best team, for the second best team in, or for the second best division winner, I should say, in their respective league. So uh, I went with Presley there. I was thinking about going with Emmanuel Classe, but Cleveland sucks, so no. 
All right. Well, I couldn't bring myself uh, to do three three in a row that I really don't like. So Josh Hader didn't make it for me. Just hey, I, I don't like him. Um, Kenley Jansen, I gave it to. Um, he has, I think, one less save than Mark Melanson on a team that's going to make the playoffs in an identical ERA, and more so for his bounce back. He had a rough stretch there in the beginning of the season. He really bounced back. Has been dominant at the end of the season. Honorable mention to Melanson, um, just because he leads the league in saves. Uh, uh, and should be the hater too. But yeah, yeah, and haters the hater is has a better ERA than both of them. But anyway, By a lot. <laughs> hater, hater, and Melanson come in second. Kenley Jansen. There's my Dodgers bias. The American League. I'm going to go with Liam Hendricks from the Chicago White Sox. I th- to me, I was going to pick him, but I think he just blew one too many saves for my liking. And I think he also had some bad stretches later in the year, which was really important to me because Presley came on later in the year as as kind of a. The Astros don't have a closer, and then all of a sudden, yes, they do. Uh, and we'll see what Hendricks does in the playoffs. He might turn it up and become what he was in the right, in the middle of the season. But at some point, I do agree with you, I would have had him. But uh, that ERA was below two at some point, and now is in the three. So that dip was a little too meteoric for me to pick him. All right, let's move on to the most surprising teams. Well, I'll start in the NL. Uh, we already talked about it, so I won't go into great length out of it. But it's the Giants, and I think, I think you'd probably say the same. Yes. Uh, so let's move on. We've talked about the Giants enough, but the, look, they have been really surprising, as you said. Picked to win about seventy-five wins in Vegas, ends up with one hundred and five minimum, so at least thirty above that number. Uh, way higher up in the standings than we thought. And then for the AL, I'm going with the Mariners because they haven't made the playoffs since two thousand one, and all of a sudden, twenty years later, here we are talking about them getting hot at the right time and possibly making the playoffs, even if they don't. Uh, I don't care. They're still the most surprising because Boston had a more ridiculous turnaround, but at the same time, we're talking about Boston, and we knew they'd get their manager back. They'd get some of their swagger back. Everything would kind of shift a little more in their favor. They'd build out their core for a little bit this more this year, and they did have some good players last year. They just needed to kind of put it all together and just really couldn't. So they're not as surprising that they're good just because of the brand they built. The Mariners have been so bad for so long that this is very, very surprising. Uh, I agree with you. I also agree with you. The Red Sox um, would make that list. The Rays, to me, were just surprising. Not that they were good, but just everything, as we talked about, everything they lost to do what they have. Um, the Mariners also, we were... You know, we were making fun of their midseason trade. What are they doing? And, and maybe they knew what they were talking about. I well, know. I don't think it really made much of a difference because they didn't even the guys they got they didn't even use in high leverage situations. Whereas they did trade away a closer. So I'm still scratching my head at that. And by the way, for a team, this is where it starts to be important, and this is what why everybody was questioning it because when you got to this point, hopefully even after all that, your team was still playing hard enough for you to get to this point. But now that you're at this point. Who are you turning the ball to? You had the answer, and you gave the answer away. That's the problem that was with the trade all the way back then, and it still is now. All right, let's move on to the most disappointing team in the National League. If you don't say the Padres, I'm going to kill you. The Padres. Okay, good. Because this team, after last year... The disappointing team in baseball. By far. uh, After a season where they went 35-25... and same record as the White Sox, same record as, as Cleveland. Uh, they come back and are absolutely awful because the beginning of the season does not matter whatsoever. That would make the Mets a good team by that measure, So, and it would make the Braves a non-playoff team. The only thing that matters is how you play to the, in the middle to the end of the season. This team started falling apart at the All-Star break and did not look back, crumbled even more and more and more and more. They made bad trades at the trade deadline, 
could not make, well, Adam Frazier was a good trade, but I feel like trading for Daniel Hudson uh, from the Nationals was just a, oh, we didn't get Scherzer or Turner, but here's a guy from the Nationals that we got instead. And at that point, it's just dumb. You did not need to do that. Um, And he didn't even pitch that well for them uh, for the rest of the year. He pitched okay, but they did not get what they wanted in that trade. Adam Frazier has been good for them, but really he was the average leader for most of the season and then fell off the face of the earth way behind some of the other guys. Uh, And they just didn't get that much out of the trade deadline. And I think that deflated their locker room too because they were thinking about trading away a very stable presence, that being Eric Hosmer in the dugout. And when they didn't trade him, it felt like everybody just wondered, why did you shop him so much if you cared enough to keep him in the end? And I think that just derailed him for the rest of the season. So there's a reason why I told you on one of our first episodes of the podcast that the Padres did not have the best front office in the league because they had not gone through a year where they actually had to struggle and figure it out from there. And here it is falling all apart at the same time when they finally have to struggle. For the AL, I'm going with the Angels just because you have arguably the two best players on the planet and you can't even go anywhere near the playoffs, anywhere near 500, figure out how to build a roster. It's that simple. The Mariners, the Blue Jays, the A's, the Rays, all four of those teams spend less money, have worse players, except for Vladimir Guerrero was the only one who could rival any players on on either of those teams, and somehow end up always better than you. The Rays have nailed it down to a science. The A's have nailed it down to the science. Go steal someone from their front office, just like the Giants did taking Farhan Zaidi from the Dodgers, or like the Braves did by by taking another Dodgers guy. Just find somebody and steal them from the Dodgers, the A's, the Rays, whoever it needs to be. Get them to the Angels and figure out how to actually build a roster because with Trout and Otani, they do have the best core of two players in the entire league. It's not close, and they're still an awful team. So until the Angels actually make the playoffs, they should be the most disappointing team year after year after year. All right. Well, I said I agree with you about the Padres. Interestingly enough, if somebody were to see the end of the end of the season standings in the National League West and see San Francisco's record at like 105 or whatever ends up being wins, and the Padres at best being a 500 club, so they've already already lost uh, I think 81 games, they would just think it was a typo that it was the wrong San. Uh, so total ridiculous disappointment, hands down most disappointing team in all of baseball. The American League got to go with the Twins. They were supposed to compete, and they were never. They were from the get go. They were god awful. I think the Twins are the only team who can rival the Angels. But for me, it was just the fact that the Angels actually Shohei was finally the first player that they were underpaying for the first time. They were overpaying Pujols for a while. Trout is being paid what he should be because he should be paid as the best player in the league because he is that. But they, Shohei is not making forty million dollars, and they finally had cap flexibility, and. Instead, it's Justin Upton and the worst pitching staff, arguably, in the AL. But yes, I do agree. If there's only there's only one other team that could rival them, and it's the Twins because they were supposed to contend. I had them as a top-five team before the season, and they're probably a bottom-five team by the end of the year. So I agree with that, too. All right, That's my close let's second. Let's wrap up our uh, postseason awards with the best front offices. I will say the Braves for being bold in the National League because... As I said, when I was viewing their trade deadline deals, I literally just looked at them in shock but knew exactly what they were trying to do. They imported a whole platoon of an entire different roster of outfielders because they just felt they needed to when when Ronald Acuna went down, and it paid off. It won them the division. Soler, Duvall, even Rosario, and Jock, Peterson— have been so good for them in the second half that that truly did win. 
Freeman, Albies, and Riley and Swanson were going to make up a really great infield. The one thing they didn't have was an outfield, other than Acuna. And when he went down, nothing there. They made a they made huge moves. They were all very very bold. I mean, Soler was not playing amazingly for most of the season either. Uh, especially from the average run, was hitting below 190. They got him all the way up to like 220 when he's playing with them. And all of their team can mash home runs. And they have found a great home run hitting team in the home run hitting era. That's something they got to deserve credit. They got to get credit for. And then the reason why I keep pushing you back on the Rays, it's not the manager. It's the front office. They've used, uh, they used a new relief pitcher every single night. If you were to watch them, I don't even think fans could tell you who's pitching and who's going to come out in the seventh inning because it's always a different guy. Then that guy's going to get traded. Then they're going to trade their closer in the middle of the season. And somehow it's all going to work out. Their closer is going to have the second lowest ERA of any closer in the AL. And then they're going to win home field in the AL. It's ridiculous. They have the best front office. It's not close in the well, AL. Well, I gave the best front office in the AL to the Rays. So we agree. I did gave the manager an honorable mention because he's got to manage that staff. Um, in the National League, we almost agree. I gave the Braves were my honorable mention. Um, I gave it to the Dodgers. And I, did it to the, I gave it to the Dodgers because this season was a testimony to how they have built their farm system, constructed a roster of guys who can plug and play and move into different places, the finding pitching help. The Dodgers roster was decimated all year all year round. So the fact they were still in the race and then the trade deadline. Not only for this year, but for next year. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. So I give it to the Dodgers. The Dodgers were the only team that I could say were close to the Braves. So yeah. We agree on, on who those two teams were. Yep. And I think we agree that this will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please join us for, for our next podcast, which will be... On Monday, October 4th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss the weekend action in college football and the NFL. Maybe and have probably a slide the, in a little bit of wildcard predictions, exactly. yeah. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings, his predictions of the entire college football and NFL seasons, all on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.